Pastors can drive people in the sound with nuts by doing crazy stuff like that. They're trying to figure out what's wrong, and it's me. So um, we, we are wrapping up this section of a larger study on spiritual warfare, this little section being uh, kind of a zeroed-in focus on this passage in Ephesians 6 uh, from, that Paul writes on this particular area of the armor of God, this analogy that he uses, and we've been working our way through that kind of bit by bit. <clears throat> we come to... Um, uh, one of the last pieces of armor that one would wear tonight, um, helmet, We've got the sword of the spirit, and, um, and, and then we'll kind of move, move out from there. Um, how many of you like to wear hats? Uh, some of the people do like to wear hats. You know, as a kid, I hated hats growing up. Somewhere along the way, I decided I liked them just a few years ago. I don't know why that was. I think when I was a kid, I thought I had big ears. Don't tell me if I do. And so hats like made that look bigger, so I thought I looked funny, so I didn't want to wear a hat. Um, I had to grow into my ears. That's exactly right. Kind of the same reason I had bad posture, too, because I was always taller than everybody. So my mom says I slouched so I wouldn't be, you know, so I wouldn't stand out. And so now I regret that because I can't get my posture straight again. Um, so anyhow, uh, the challenges of, you know, of youth. So I, I like hats now. Uh, but we're talking about a special hat tonight, this helmet of salvation. If you're a Roman soldier, you wore a hat. And it wasn't particularly a fashion statement like hats are today. Uh, it served a certain purpose, a very specific and, and important purpose. Um, and so we're going to focus in on that piece of equipment uh, tonight. But uh, as usual, I've got some uh, little questions to get you talking about this subject and to kind of get you thinking about what we're going to be discussing tonight. So uh, Josh is going to throw the group questions up there on the screen. Uh, get with three or four people around you, just, you know, whatever little group you want to put together and, um, and chat about these things. Now, look, these questions are dealing with salvation, the issue of whether you can lose it or you can't, and what is the nature of it. And I'm asking you to give some biblical references. Now, look, I understand you don't have the Bible memorized, right? I understand that, right? If you do, just nod your head and everybody will group with you. Um, but uh, I don't have it memorized. I don't think you do either. Um, so I don't expect you to be able to, you know, off the top of your head, just start popping out memory verses. But I just want you to... With what, with what Bible knowledge you have, interact some with Scripture. See if you can find a verse or two that comes to mind. And if you can't remember the exact reference, if you can mem- remember paraphrase in your mind, that's fine too. I mean, I just want you to be thinking through how do we anchor some of our thoughts on this in Scripture and where do we get these ideas, okay? So um, that's all I'm, all I'm looking for. All right, so uh, jump in and take about uh, 10, 12 minutes, and then we'll uh, jump into study. All right, how are we doing? You ready to pull it together? Yeah? No? Maybe? All right, we're pulling it together either way. All right, so you know uh, one of the things that uh, one of the things that uh, I think has been helpful to me about this passage we've been studying is it's been a good illustration to me thus far, and tonight particularly so, of the intersection between what we believe and how we behave. You know, or, or in other words, theology and practice. The idea of what we believe theologically, has, it has very practical implications for how we live out our, our Christian walk. Sometimes we disconnect those two things as though they're two separate things, you know. You know, some people hear people say, I don't care about theology, I just want to, you know, live for Christ, as though the two things are separate, or um, the other way around, people who just care about theology and not so much about practice. Um, you know, the Bible intersects those two things and, and, and makes the case, I think, that one affects the other. What we believe affects how we behave. We don't just behave mindlessly normally. We behave based on what we believe. And this, is a good, this passage and this particular aspect of the passage is a pretty, a pretty clear example of that. Because it's going to deal with what we believe about our salvation and how that affects practically how we battle 
every day in the spiritual battle. So uh, we're dealing with that tonight. And obviously it relates to the issue of salvation. Um, so we're not going to spend a ton of time because I'm going to teach on all these things. But um, the first one, um, just answer out loud. Can I say a person, can a Christian, a genuine believer? We're not talking about people where that's questionable. We just mean people who make a genuine commitment to Christ that's clear. Um, can they lose their salvation? Okay, we pretty much had, I, I figured you would be on the same page with that. Um, however, you understand that not everybody uh, agrees with that statement. Um, probably everybody in here agrees with that statement. Um, uh, if you don't, you, you, know, you just realize that the majority did, so you probably don't want to voice it. But um, you realize that there are plenty of people in the Christian world who don't agree with that statement, who would argue that you can. So, um, and, and clearly they don't just come off at the top of their head with that. They, they have some anchor point somewhere for such a belief. So um, I, I just was curious, did you come up with some Bible passages to anchor your view or to expose where you think folks who see the other side of that come from? Matt, raise his hand. Hebrews 6, would you read it for us or tell us out loud? Okay, so that's one of the anchor points where people see the other, the other side of this go, right? It's a, it's a really challenging passage to interpret um, with some interesting nuances that we don't have time to play out tonight, but that is one of the anchor points for sure. Uh, suffice it to say, the writer of Hebrews is not teaching that a person who is genuinely saved can lose that and never regain it. Although it may sound like that at first blush. We'll deal with that on another day. But that is one of the anchor points that you would find. Yep. What else? Anything? Jeff. Okay, so people who hold this other side of the view might say, well, you know, if Jesus says he won't blot your name out of the book of life, for those particular people, perhaps it's a possibility that he might blot someone else's name out. Is that the other side of that? Okay. I've heard that before, too. Steve. Jimmy Swaggart, okay. Wait, Jimmy, do you have one? Nah. Who knew? Who knew Jimmy Swaggart had an expository study Bible? Okay. Oh, his, oh, that's great. Who would have thought? You would have thought he could at least use a different color than red. Okay, he uses that verse. Okay. Okay. Yep. So, so three good examples of places where people take passages, and uh, in every case, uh, each of the ones you've given, out of the, the general context of what is around it to make that case. Um, so what about the other side? What you, know, what you affirmed? Did you come to some anchor points for that? You can't talk about that one. I'm going to talk about that one in a minute. <laughs> and I'm going to include 27. So <laughs> okay, John 10, 27, 28. We're going to talk about that. Good job. Did you paraphrase any? <laughs> Did you come up with anything? I think the Bible says this somewhere. Okay. You were saying something? Okay, Philippians 1. Okay. That's another place. We're going to go to Philippians as well. Yep. All right, so we'll talk to some of those things. All right, what about number two? Is it right to refer to believers as saved, being saved, or going to be saved? Okay, so it was a trick question, and Stacy got it in the middle there. Yeah, it's all of those things. are good. The Bible uses all those phrases. It, it refers to our salvation in both a past, present, and future sense. So we have to make some sense of that. Uh, we will do that tonight, I hope. Um, so, yeah. Um, number three, how would it change the way you engage in spiritual warfare if you believed you could lose your salvation? This is the intersection of what you believe and what you practice. I'm just curious to know what you came up with on that. It would affect your witnessing. Okay, explain that to me. How? Okay, so it would certainly undercut that. If you didn't have confidence in your own faith, it was going to be, going to be hard to pass that along to others and by, by witnessing. Okay? 
Okay, so you're going to be doing a lot of things to try and secure yourself somehow. Okay. I've known a lot of people who hold this view, by the way, and um, I've dealt with people over the years who come talk with me about uh, struggling with this. And, you know, inevitably when people hold this view, whether they admit it on the surface or not, they're, they're constantly struggling with things like fear and doubt and so forth. Because you're, if, if you believe that you can lose it and you recognize that you're a sinner, you're never quite sure if you've, you know, what is that point at which you lose it? Have I passed it? Did I pass it when I lied last week or when I lusted the week before or, you know, so on. And so there's const, this constant angst about am I... Am I in or am I out? And how do I know if I'm in or am I out? You know, and so forth. So, uh, by the way, Catholics struggle with this a lot. I mean, not to just point them out as the only ones, but Catholics um, po- deal with this a decent amount. Um, not, not ever being completely sure that they're in. Have I done enough penance? Have I done enough confession? You know, is all of my sin covered? Or am I going to end up, you know, dying with some unconfessed, un-atoned um, uh, 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 for or dealt with sin? Okay. So we'll talk about that some more in just a moment as well. So what does all this have to do with the helmet of salvation in Ephesians chapter 6? That's the question that we're really about tonight. What does this have to do with, with all of that? And um, so in the midst of all of our armor talk here, um, we've been using this illustration of the uh, Roman soldier because Paul gives it to us that way. Um, so what pieces have we figured out so far? What pieces of armor has Paul told us about so far? Just shoot at me here quickly. Belt of truth. Breastplate of righteousness, okay, righteous living, yep. What else? Shield of faith, shoes, the preparation of the gospel of peace, okay. We haven't gotten quite to that one yet, but that's next. Sword of spirit, yeah. Okay, so yeah, you got him, you got him. So now we're, we're pretty much got the whole, the whole guy outfitted except for his head, right? And I would suspect that if you were a soldier going into battle, there's, if there's anything you want covered going into battle when swords are swinging around, it would be your your head. I don't know about you, but that's an important part of my body. Um, whether the ears are big or not, it's an important part of my head. You know, it's, it's kind of important to your body, right? You need to know that that's covered. Um, you know, hand-to-hand combat, a um, couple of kinds of swords that you would see. There's these short swords, kind of, you know, little short swords that you could... You know, swing with one hand in close hand-to-hand combat, you know, lethal, kill people with, you know, have the shield for those. Um, but there's also the big two-handed, three- to four-foot-long sword that's double-edged. Jesus talks about a double-edged sword and so forth. That's what he's talking about, this long, two-handed, three- to four-foot-long sword that um, that would be swung with both arms or, or down with both arms with an awful lot of force. You know, a good blow from one of those swords from a really strong soldier um, could, could take you out quick. Uh, particularly if a blow was landed to your head, and particularly if that blow was landed to a head that did not have on it a helmet, obviously, right? Even with a helmet, um, at, at the right angle, with a strong enough guy, uh, these, these, these brutal swords could, uh, you know, could slice your coconut quick. Um, so, uh, so it's important to have is an important piece of armor for a Roman soldier. You had to have your head covered and. There, there were helmets that were made largely of one of two things. Uh, some were made of, of, of leather with metal kind of attached to it um, or riveted to it. And, and some were made out of pounded metal. You've probably seen pictures of all these things um, just shaped in the form of, a, you know, of your head. Um, they were not particularly for coconut. That's a fancy one, you know, like a, a, a Roman commander or something like that. The average, you know, grunt down in the trenches didn't wear that kind of a thing. Um, something more primitive, um, less... Um, I don't know, Marvin the Martian-ish. Um, you guys, you guys remember Marvin the Martian? Did anybody see him on the Bugs Bunny cart? Raise your hand. Tell me. 
Okay, good. I'm not the only one. I'm going to destroy the earth. You remember that guy? I can do that voice. So we've got to edit that before it goes online. Um, so this is an important piece of armor. And so it was an important piece of armor. It would be foolish for Paul or silly, if in some sense, for him to be talking about the armor and not have something that relates to the head covering. And so moving from the, um, the, the battle illustration to the spiritual you know, sort of, uh, of uh, connection, uh, Paul says that we should put on um, what? The helmet of salvation. If I could find the passage in my Bible, it's, it's right here, I know. There it is, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. So the helmet of salvation. So what is the deal with this helmet of salvation? What is the analogy here? What is Paul talking about? Um, that we put on the helmet of salvation. Uh, at first blush, you might think, well, he's talking about you need to be saved. You know, that's an important part of being in the battle is being a Christian, first of all, right? Hard to battle the enemy if you're not. But it doesn't really make sense for his analogy. Why? We've already talked about a shield of faith, a breastplate of righteousness, and a belt of truth. Um, who can put those kind of things on? Somebody who's, only, who's already somebody's already a Christian, right? These are already things... I mean, you can't put on the belt, belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. All these things are, are assumed that a person is a believer at the beginning, right? We're talking about things that only Christians can do. And Paul is writing to believers in general. So he's not talking, you can't do any of that unless you're already saved. So he's not saying, oh yeah, by the way, you know, do all those things in your unsaved flesh. And then also, you might want to get saved too. Um, that's not, that's, that doesn't make much sense in the context of the, the flow of Paul's thought here. So what is he talking about? Um, we have to go to First Thessalonians chapter 5. And Paul uses the same illustration. And he, he, he elaborates on it a little bit. He gives us some phraseology that helps us. He says to the Thessalonian church, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. He, he's using the armor and switching some things around here. And for a helmet, the what? The hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, now this helps us here. He's not talking about salvation in general. He's talking about particularly here what? The hope of salvation. So that pushes us in which direction? Past, present, future. Okay, when you say you hope, you tell me you hope for something, that's, that's coming down the road. Like, I hope it's not as dreary tomorrow as it was today. Um, now, we lose something in the English translation because when you and I use the word hope, we use it a little differently than Paul used the word hope or that we see the biblical writers using hope. When we talk about hope, like I hope this will happen or I hope that will happen, there's, when we use that word, there's a, there's a, a characteristic of uncertainty in that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you know, I hope next week is going to be better than this week. Well, what am I saying? I'm not sure if it really is going to be or it's not. I just, I, I'm hopeful that it's going to be. It may or it may not. Um, there's, it's uncertain. It's, it's kind of vague and uncertain. I'm hoping for the best, but it may not turn out that way. I don't really know. In English, but in, in, in Greek, in the way the biblical writers use this word, this is not, it doesn't have that, that, that characteristic of uncertainty. When Paul talks about hope of salvation, he's not talking about, I hope that this is going to happen. I'm not sure if it really is or it's not. Maybe it will or maybe it won't. I, I sure hope it does with a level of uncertainty. When he talks about hope like that, he's talking about, you could, you could characterize this by saying hope in, in, in the biblical language uh, means essentially a, um, a settled confidence. You could say it that way. When he says, I hope in Christ, he's not saying, I hope he comes through for me. He's saying, I have, a, I have a hope in him. I have a settled confidence 
that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Or I have a settled confidence that this is going to play out exactly the way he's he said it would. It doesn't have that. The best way I can say it is it does not have that element of uncertainty into it. It has to it uh, an element of absolute certainty. Um, I'm hoping in that. I'm putting my confidence in that because it's settled. So here, uh, Paul is talking about the hope of salvation. Um, and he's talking about something yet future. I have a settled confidence. I'm putting on this helmet, and this helmet relates to my settled confidence that I'm ultimately going to be saved, is what Paul is saying here. That's why I asked you that second question in your Q&A. Uh, is it right for us to think of our salvation as past, present, or future? As Are we people who've been saved? Are we people who are being saved? Or are we people who are one day going to be saved? Um, kind of a tricky question because the Bible uses all of that language. Like, um, Josh, I didn't write down my, all my text here for this, but the first, uh, talking about passages that reference us already being saved, Paul speaks in Corinthians about this. Uh, well, that's the future. Uh, maybe pop back to. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have what? You've been saved. So Paul's talking about something that what? It's already happened or is it happening now or is it going to happen? It's already happened. You, he's talking to believers. He said, look, you have already been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So he speaks to them and of their salvation as something that's already accomplished. And there are plenty of examples of this. But then you can flip to other passages um, in, in, in the New Testament, like in, I think it's Corinthians, yeah, 1 Corinthians 1.18, where it says, For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are what? Being saved, it's the power of God. Oh, wait a minute, Paul, you just talked to the Ephesians, and you talked to them as though their salvation has already been accomplished, but now you're referring to yourself and the Corinthians as what? It's kind of in the process of being saved. Okay, and then you go to a text like uh, the, the next one, First Corinthians, and he says, if, he's talking about if, if that work that anyone has built on the foundation, he's been talking about the foundation of our faith. If your work survives, he'll receive a reward. Uh, and if anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself, what? Well, he, in that day, he, he will be saved, but only as through fire. So the context in those passages, um, we don't have time to explore. I just wanted you to see that we see salvation referred to in all of these terms. So how do we put all this together? Because this helmet of salvation relates to the future. Let me pull it all together for you. Um, when we're talking about salvation or being saved, it encompasses all three of these things. Salvation is something that, when it's real, is accomplished and secure, but it's something that's continuing as well, and it's something that will ultimately come to a final conclusion in the future. So there's a sense in which you have been saved if you're a Christian. In other words, it's settled, it's done, it's not going to be undone, but there's also a sense in which you're being saved. That is to say, there are some things in your salvation that are still playing out, still working out, and that's, that, that process is not going to complete until you die and you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven and, and your salvation is, in a sense, completed at that point or finalized. Let me put, give you a chart that will help you uh, see this. You can just put the whole thing up there, Josh, so we can roll, roll along. Talking about the three aspects of our salvation. There's a sense in which we're saved. We have been saved. We have been saved from what? The penalty of sin. That's called justification, the doctrine of justification. That is to say we were guilty sinners before, right? We were guilty before the Lord under his under his judicial wrath, um, and if we died in that state, we were going to be judged not guilty and, and facing the eternal punishment for our sin. But when we come to know Christ and we believe the gospel like we talked about on Sunday, something instantly happens. 
We're justified. That is to say, our sentence is commuted, our sins are forgiven, and in a sense, we are, in, in, a, in a very real sense, we are at that moment saved. The atonement of Christ, His bloodshed on the cross, is applied to our account. Our sin is covered, forgiven, wiped away, cast as far as the east is from the west, to the depths of the sea, all those illustrations we see in the Bible, forgotten about. We are given the righteousness of Christ. Instantly, no longer does God see us as sinners who are guilty, but He sees in us the righteousness of Jesus Christ to receive His eternal reward. In that sense, in that moment, we're justified. The penalty of sin, we're saved from it. And we are saved in every sense of the word. However, that begins a process called sanctification, which is the, the progressive work of Christ in making us more and more like Himself chipping away the sin in our life and building in us the fruit of righteousness. It's called sanctification. So when you see there is a sense in which we are, being, we are still being saved, not from the penalty of sin, but from what? You can look at the chart. The presence, the presence of sin. Excuse me, the power of sin. I went ahead. The power of sin. In other words, there's a sense in which we were dominated by sin before we came to know Christ. We were slaves to sin, Paul says. We were totally dominated when we are justified, at the moment we believe the gospel, the power of sin to enslave us like it did to... to, to uh, 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 well, enslave us is the best word. It's broken. It's broken. No longer does sin have the power to enslave us. Now, we have, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We have the power to overcome sin, to do battle against it, to kill it in a sense. But it's a progressive work. It's a progressive work. As the Holy Spirit works within us, we are constantly being saved more and more from the power of sin to dominate our lives. If you've been a Christian for very long, you've seen this play out. You know, the struggles you had early on with sin in your Christian walk, um, you've probably seen some victory over those areas. Now you're doing battle in new areas, right? Um, and the more you battle in those areas and find some victory over the power of sin in those areas, what happens is you realize, wow, there's even deeper areas of sin in my life that I now have to do battle with. But do you see, this is a progressive work. So in a sense, we're being, although we've already been saved from the penalty, you know, the eternal judgment, we're being constantly saved, in a sense, from the power of sin to, to dominate us. And then thirdly, that process will come to a conclusion ultimately when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we enter into eternal heaven and the battle is over. We are glorified in a sense. That's the doctrine of glorification. All sin is eradicated and the battle is over. And we spend eternity with Christ. Um, No longer with sin, darkness, no more spiritual battle, no more wrestling with the powers of, 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 of the enemy, no more dealing with temptations and and discouragement and all these things that we're battling right now. Won't that be a great day? But only in that sense will we be able to say, you know, so when it says they will be saved, he's saying it will be completed. That process will ultimately finish. Um, and, you know, and if you've been in the heat of the spiritual battle for long, then you, then you understand that that's a good thing to look forward to. That's what motivated Paul, right? That's one of the things that motivated I mean, this guy did battle all the time. I mean, he was constantly under spiritual attack. And, you know, some of the thoughts, intense spiritual attack, very intense. But Paul says, I keep going, and I don't give up, and I don't lose heart, and I don't, I don't quit, I don't get out. Why? Because, he says, my, these, these light and momentary afflictions, or these, these, these problems I'm dealing with now, the suffering I'm dealing with now, are, are light. And, and if you look at his life, you wouldn't call those kind of things that he dealt with light and momentary. But he understood, in light of the glorification that's to come, these things are insignificant. There's a day coming when I'm going to be like Christ, and the battle's going to be over. And these things will seem insignificant at that time. So I'm motivated to keep pressing on toward that. That was what motivated him. 
So this is how this relates. So when Paul talks here about this hope of salvation, he's talking about the finished end of our salvation. And what he's saying, so how does that relate to a helmet and to the spiritual battle? What he's talking about here is the security of our salvation. He's talking about the idea that when I'm in the spiritual battle, I put on the helmet of salvation. And what I'm doing is, is I'm saying, I, I, I'm, I'm putting on the confidence the confident assurance that what God has begun, the work that He's begun in me, He is going to ultimately what? He's going to complete it. I'm going to get to the end. I'm going to get to the end and I can be sure that I'm going to get to the end because He's going to get me to the end. Okay? That's what He's saying. The hope of my salvation. The hope of salvation. The hope, the, the settled confidence that I'm ultimately going to make it to the end and be glorified before the Lord. That's what He's saying. So when he's saying, I'm in battle, I'm doing battle, the enemy's coming against me. Uh, one of the things I've got to know going into that battle is that, that the end of the game is settled. That Christ is going to win the victory, and then at the end of the day, I'm going to be saved. I'm going to make it at the end. That's critical to going into the battle and to being able to do it. Why is that critical? If you don't know that going into the battle, what happens? Yet you're constantly dealing with doubts and fears and all of those kinds of things. You're doing so much internal battle trying to, to, to be concerned about where you stand before God that you can't even begin to deal with the spiritual battle that's before you, right? But if you go into the battle knowing, hey, Christ has won this thing. I'm already saved. My salvation is secure. He's fighting the battle with me. And He's promised to ultimately get me to the end. I'm going to come out on the other side of this thing glorified. If you know that going in, how does that help you going into the battle? Yeah, it makes you strong, right? Because the battle might get tough, and it might be painful at times, but you can rest knowing that, hey, this will end. This will end, and I'm going to make it to the end. I don't have to be concerned that Satan's going to take me out. I don't have to be concerned that he's going to knock me out for good, or that he's going to rob me of my eternal reward, or of my salvation. That's secure. It's putting on the helmet of salvation. That's what he's talking about here. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Let me... Um, let me let me go to um, a couple of passages that might, might just kind of help us with this. Um, let's look at Romans chapter 13 for just a second, <clears throat> verses 11 and 12. This is just another example of this future tense that Paul uses sometimes. He says our salvation is, is nearer to us now than what? Than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on, once again, this illustration, the armor of light. But how can our salvation be nearer now than it was when we first began? What's he talking about then? Okay, he's talking about that future ending of our salvation, that ultimate glorification. Yeah, if you've been a Christian long, you're closer to that now than you were, well, yesterday. You know, when you were eating dinner a little while ago, right? Um, you're closer to that because you're getting older, you know, your time's moving on. So that's what he's talking about. Our salvation is nearer. doesn't mean that they're not saved. It doesn't mean that they're not saved and they're wondering if that's going to happen. You know, maybe they will or maybe they won't. No, he's talking about glorification. He's saying, because as we're getting closer to the end, he's saying, listen, let's, let's live. Let's live for Christ. Let's get rid of all this sin in our lives and, and, and let's, let's put on the armor of light and fight. You know, we've got a limited amount of time. We're getting closer to the end. Let's, let's do battle. That's what he's talking about. So he gives us that sense of, of that. And this idea of being able to, to get into the battle, put on the helmet of salvation, and, and do battle without doubt, without fear, fully confident, knowing that ultimately we will not be defeated because we have the promise of eternal life, is what he's talking about here. This is the issue with this helmet of salvation. 
Uh, look at um, uh, John 6, uh, chapter 6, then we'll look at John chapter 10. John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40. Listen to this. Jesus speaking, all that the Father gives me will what? They'll come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will what? I might or might not cast them out. I'll never cast them out. Whoever comes to me, I'll never cast them out. Okay? Does that seem to indicate that you can lose it? No. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose a couple, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me. Nothing. But raise him up on the last day. How many people that that belong to Christ is he going to lose? How many of them are going to fail to make it to the end and get raised up on the last day? None of them. None of them. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes, we talked about that on Sunday, right, should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes has the guarantee that they will be raised up on the last day because they're going to be so good that they can earn it? No, because Christ says, I will raise them up. Always, I'll raise them up. That's good to know, isn't it? That's good to know. That when you look to, look to the Son of, the, of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you believe on Him like we talked about on Sunday, that you have the guarantee from that point on. He says, I take responsibility for you. You belong to me. You're one of the sheep the Father has given to me. And it is my responsibility to see you through to the end and to raise you up on the last day. That's good, isn't it? That's good news for people like me who don't always get it right, who fumble and fail from time to time, awful lot of the time who sin and still do battle all the time and sometimes get discouraged and, and sometimes I'm weak, it's good to know that, that, that my getting raised up on the last day isn't riding on my own shoulders and my own ability to perform. But it's riding on the security of the promise of Christ. That's good to know, isn't it? It's good to know. Is it good for you to know? Boy, that's encouraging for me to know. I'd be a mess if I couldn't believe that with confidence. You know, they kind of all tangle together. I think it's kind of hard to separate them out one from the other, but I think so. I mean, I think, you know, if you're looking at the body and uh, what what are some of your most critical parts and pieces, the head probably ranks up there pretty high. So I think I think I think we can say that Paul thinks this is pretty important, a pretty, pretty significant thing here and that everything else kind of rides underneath it. But, um, yeah. So this passage in John chapter six, you get over to uh, John chapter 10, I believe it is. Um, that we, we get uh, the same thing. Jesus says, you know, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will what? Maybe perish? Nope, they never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I mean, look, think of the security that he's trying to explain here to, to believers, right? I mean, think of how secure you are in the sense of you know, you belong to Christ. You've been given to Him by the Father. He secures you. He holds you. And there's no one, not the devil, not Satan, not any demon, not any other person, can snatch you out of His hand. can snatch you out of His hand. Um, that's, that's good to know. That is important to know uh, when it comes to how we navigate in our lives of spiritual battle. Now, um, there are those who would take a passage like this and they would say, that's good news. Um, you know, I've saved no one can snatch me out of Jesus' hand. I'm just going to live it up, man. I'm just going to do whatever I want to, live however I want to. Um, you know, ignore the Word of God, not obey. I'm um, just indulging in whatever sin I want to. Because, hey, after all, 
You know, no one's going to snatch me out of his hand. What do we what do we make of that kind of a thing? Yeah, that would be my take on that. That's not the attitude of a genuine believer. It's not the attitude of a genuine believer, because also part of the sanctification process that that present tense part of our salvation is 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 a growing desire to obey Christ and to do what's right to love his word, to love his people, to honor him with our lives. And so when, that's, when that is absent from a person's life, it certainly sheds an awful lot of doubt as to whether something genuine as far as believing on the Lord Jesus Christ has actually happened or not. Um, so so we don't want we, we to misuse passages like this. Um, it's funny because I, the, the friends that I know in ministry or in other faiths or other denominations, let me say it that way, who believe you can lose their salvation, they think every Baptist is, is licentious. They think we're all, you know, all of us who think we, you know, who believe in the security of salvation, that none of us care about living a holy life, you know. You're just kind of like, got your fire insurance, you're going to heaven, and you just live however the heck you want, and you don't care about holiness or living a, a godly life or honoring Christ. They tend to think that the only people who... who who make an effort to honor Christ are people who think they can lose their salvation. Um, now, they're dead wrong about that caricature, right? Um, because I know a lot of people who are very serious about honoring the Lord with their lives. In fact, anyone who's genuinely saved, I think, takes that seriously, right? Um, so, this is what we're talking about here. So, we've got these passages. John, uh, our time is up. Let me just go to Jude real quick. Uh, Jude. Jude 1. Jude is a short, short, you know, one chapter book at the end that maybe you have or haven't read, but it's, it deals with the issue of apostasy or, or people um, uh, abandoning the faith and talks about spiritual battle and, and it doesn't use those terms, but um, it speaks to all this bad stuff going on around us. And Paul uh, writes the beginning of this. Excuse me, Paul. What am I talking about? Um, Jude, a servant of Christ and brother to James, to those who are called, beloved in, in God, the Father, and what? Kept for, or that could be kept by, depending on how you translate that preposition, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Kept, kept. That, that idea of being kept by Him, or kept for Him. Do you, do you, you can't keep yourself, right? Kept indicates that somebody else is doing the keeping, and you're the recipient of the keeping, so to speak. And begins this little letter like that, and you get to the very end of it, the ver- last verse, verse 25, and there's this um, kind of celebration at the end where Jude writes, to, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Why is he so excited? Why does he worship the Lord so, so boisterously there at the end? You have to go back one verse, the verse 24. Why is he so excited? Because the last thing he's just thought about is this. To him who is able to do what? to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. Boy, that'll make you celebrate the Lord, won't it? If you really believe that it's Him. Him. He's the one. Are you able to keep yourself? Are you, are you, are you able to, to perform in such a way uh, that you can keep your own... That you can be so, so holy and so righteous that you can keep your own self from stumbling and that you can present yourself? God, look how godly I am before Him in the end. Boy, if we had to rely on that, we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? But he says, no, it's not, it's not how it works. He, the one in whose hands we're secured, the one who's our shepherd who says, I'll never lose you or leave you. I will raise you up on the last day. He is able to keep you from stumbling. And he's able to get you to the end of the battle and raise you up on the last day. Blameless. Blameless. That's good news. 
That is good news for people who are doing battle in the spiritual realm, right? Who are, who are battling with temptations and are struggling with sin and who are wrestling with doubts and, and, and wrangling a bit with fears and, and doing battle with sin that doesn't want to go away and constantly you know, messing up here and there. That's good, that's good news to know. That's good news to know. The helmet of salvation, this confident assurance, this confidence in the keeping power of Christ to get me to the end, blameless, and raise me up on the last day secure. That's the helmet of salvation. Did I put a slide in there on what that is, Josh? I think I did. What does it mean to put on the helmet of salvation? Um, it's having this absolute confidence in the saving, keeping power of God's sovereign grace, knowing that he'll do what? He'll secure you to the end. I can go into the battle. I can get up every day and do battle with temptation and do battle with sin. When I know and I go into the battle, hey, even if I don't get it all right today, even if I take a few arrows and go down for a minute or two, I can have confidence that the Lord's going to get me to the end. It's not about me performing everything perfectly today to get me to the end. It's about His keeping power. And I have confidence in His power to keep me and to secure me and to raise me up at the end blameless. That's good. That, that'll give you the kind of courage you need to go out and face the battle. That'll keep you from getting dejected and discouraged when you don't get it right all the time and when you struggle with things. Um, that'll help. It's important. It's what kept Paul going. And, you know, there are a lot of uh, believers, I think, that are just out of the battle altogether these days for some of these reasons because they, they, they're not secure in this. And when any little thing goes wrong or any little problem comes their way or any little failure happens in their life, uh, they begin to quit. Am I saved? Am I not? Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe He's not going to take care of me. Maybe I'm not going to make it to the end. And man, when you start going down that road, you can forget having any victory in the battle. You're done. You're done for. You're done for. But if you can get up every day saying, you know what, I didn't get it all right today. I wasn't blameless in my behavior, but that's okay because it's not about me performing my blameless acts. It's about the Lord securing me and getting me to the end and raising me up blameless on Jesus' account. That's how I get there. That changes everything. So I pray for you and for myself that we can walk in that security tonight, tomorrow, the rest of the week um, and remind ourselves of that as we do battle. Father, we uh, give thanks tonight that you are a saving, keeping, securing God. And that beyond all that, that when we, when we believe on your Son, that you indwell us with the Holy Spirit who becomes a seal of our inheritance, uh, an eternal reward that you have laid up for us that's guaranteed it's our inheritance for belonging to your family, being one of your children. And you've given us your Spirit as a seal on that. It's guaranteed. We're thankful that tonight we don't have to know. We don't have to, we don't have to wonder where we stand with you. We don't have to wonder if, if you're really going to see us through to the end. We don't have to wonder if tomorrow when we sin and tomorrow when we fail or when we give in to a temptation or struggle with a doubt, we don't have to wonder, am I going to make it? Because it's not about us making it. You secure us and you keep us and you, 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 you raise us up on the last day blameless. You get us to the end. You're the one who began this work in us, and you'll see it through to completion. Give us that settled confidence, Lord. Give us that settled confidence so that we can do do battle in the spiritual realm in our lives with courage, with fortitude, so that you can, can, uh, Lord, uh, rescue us from fear and doubt, questions that cripple our, our spiritual lives. 
Father, I pray for my friends that you'd secure them with your security. That they would know that. That they would experience it daily. By your Holy Spirit, remind them of that tomorrow when the battle gets intense or next week. And we thank you so much for this. We thank you so much. We, like, like Jude at the end, we just want to celebrate who you are for what you've done for us. It's invaluable. And we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen.